Okay, we're looking at Matthew 25 today, and there's three parables in Michael. Pastor Michael looked at um, the uh, first one last week as he was talking about the ten bridesmaids, how everybody's responsible uh, for their own spiritual condition. And then today we'll look at the three servants, the necessity of being good stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. And then next Sunday, Michael's going to be teaching on uh, sheep and goats, the importance of serving those in need. Was it Michael that preached last Sunday? Okay, I got that right. I'm looking back there at Ron, making sure. <clears throat> so no parable on the, and 25 here is, is completely describes our preparation for the Lord's return and how we should be living till then. But uh, each one paints a part of the whole picture. So let's read Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two, and to another one, and each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with the two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, but see, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And the man with the two bags of gold also came. You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had see, received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I turned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him who, and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth let's let's pray lord uh, just all that pastor nathan prayed we pray come holy spirit and do what you want with us today give us what we need or an insight uh, challenge us convict us woo us draw us closer to you we're here so come, Holy Spirit, and, and work in our hearts something that guides us along. Shine some light into our paths. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So being ready for the return of the Lord in this parable means being industrious for him. The story is about using our gifts wisely, and it brings encouragement and a sobering reality uh, about our accountability to God with what he has entrusted with us while we're on this earth. And so in the first few verses, 
<clears throat> Jesus describes the master, and he's giving instructions to his servants before departing on his journey. And it was uh, giving responsibilities to servants in those days in the Roman era was quite normal because uh, they would give them uh, jobs and responsibilities um, to their secretaries, to the clerics, to the doctors, to the teachers, to the business managers. Those were usually all slaves. And they would let them work and, and create wealth for the, for the home, for the master's response, his, his domain, while he was gone. But a talent in the scripture, um, it's a weight. It's not a coin. In the Greek, it's uh, talenton, T-A-L-A-N. T-O-N, Teleton. So its value depended on whether it was copper, silver, or gold. And in the text, it's gold, and commentators say one was worth about what a, a laborer in his wages would be for um, 20 years. So two talents was like 40 years. Five talents was like 100 years. So it was a sizable amount that he was giving. And I think, though, for the application of this parable, I think it's appropriate to say that all of life's resources that God has given us, you know, our, our time, our, our power, our abilities, our cognitive abilities, whatever we have, that, that we would use it for his glory and for the purposes that he uh, uh, made us for. Uh, according, he gave each one according to their abilities, which is dunamis in the Greek, D-U-N-A-M-I-S. So the master was not asking them to do things that were above their dunamis, their ability, their power. Five talents for some would be too many uh, for some people, and one talent would not be enough for others. So then we see in the next few verses, the servants manage, servants manage the master's money. And the five and the two went out, and they used it immediately, put it to work. And by using it, they gained more. And uh, this shows that they were... Uh, uh, Using their time wisely, they probably uh, went to work immediately. They maybe did more than what was asked of them, but they were concerned about the master's interest. The third one went out, and he did nothing with it. He hid it in the dirt and then went on his own merry way and just to do what he wanted to do. He wasn't serving the master. He was just completely serving himself. Church, it's very important that when we receive gifts from the Lord, that we receive them and use them in the way that he wants and, and develop them and grow in them the way he wants. Apostle Paul warned Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect your gift which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And then again in 2 Timothy he wrote to him and said, fan into flame the gift of God that was given to you on the laying on of my hands. Sometimes the Lord gives us things and we use them for a while, then things diminish. And we're not using them like we used to. Believers are exhorted in 1 Corinthians 12 to desire the best gifts, to keep pressing in for more of what God would have us, and then to use it wisely. Jesus says, let your light shine. Don't put it under a bushel. So turn to your neighbor and say, let your light shine for Pete's sake. Amen. Now, so the first two servants are judged, and the master comes back, and he looks and sees what they did, and he goes, wow, that is a, well done, good and faithful 
servants, you've been faithful with a little. I'm going to make you a ruler of much over many things. So the result of their fruitfulness was really uh, an indication of who they were as in their character as good and faithful. They went out and did the stuff for the Lord. And to me, that makes me think, you know, I, I need to continually study and pray and, and be uh, in... Taking inventory on where I'm at in my journey and my walk with the Lord. When we take communion, we're we're told to, to take and assess yourself, take an inventory. Where are you at in your walk with the Lord? And are we doing what He's asking us to do? Are we pressing in, like Apostle Paul said, with everything we have? John uh, 15, uh, verse 5, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I remain in him, he, he will bear much fruit. Apart from you, me, you can do nothing. He went on and said, the father is like the gardener that comes, and when he sees a branch that isn't bearing fruit, he cuts it off, throws it into the fire. But if he sees a branch that's bearing a lot of fruit, he trims it and nurtures it and stuff, and so it'll bear more fruit. Then the master tells the two, the five and two talents. He says, enter into the joy of your Lord. So he promises them, he praises them, he promises them future blessings, and they enter into the joy of the Lord. But then the third servant gives account. And he comes and he says, I knew you to be a hard man. Look, you have what's yours. He gets all defensive. He starts saying, hey, I knew you were this and this, you know, and, it's, it, and he was blaming the, the master for his lack of productivity. Sounds like what Adam and Eve did, this snake, this woman you gave me. <laughs> there was a married couple on a trip in a car, and they were driving, 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 and they got into a heated argument. And they were going at it. And, and neither one of them wanted to admit they were wrong or the other was right. Or nobody was willing to apologize. They just all of a sudden gave each other the silent treatment. You ever been there? <laughs> mile after mile after mile. Suddenly the husband looks over in the field and there's a big old mule over there grazing. And he goes, relative of yours? She says, yes, indeed, by marriage. <laughs> Oh, man. When we have the wrong concept of each other, we can tend to get gnarly with each other. And same way, if we don't understand who the good Lord is, we can blame our, our lack of productivity on him. We start getting the wrong idea of what stewardship means. Uh, Bible commentator Poole says it's the genius of wicked men to lay the blame of their miscarriages upon others, oftentimes upon God himself. And another commentator says, Meyer says, the thinking of this servant was, I can do very little. It will not make much difference if I do nothing. I shall not be missed. My tiny push is not needed to turn the scale. So he just says, look, here's yours. This is yours. At least he recognized whose it belonged to. When the Lord gives us something, it's not just for us to use as we please. What can we say about the third servant? He didn't have a proper understanding of who the master was. He made excuses for his lack of productivity. He didn't work. He didn't try. 
he, he, he lost out on the opportunity of being useful. He was completely self-centered. So the third servant's judged comes before the master, and the master says, you wicked and lazy servant. He says, your, your lack of productivity is your fault. Is It's your sloth. It's your wickedness. F.F. Bruce, a commentator, says, the servant wasn't dishonest, but he was indolent, slothful, a poor creature altogether, suspicious, heartless, spiritless, idle. It's possible to have God's resources and have them in such a way as, as if they're nothing. But to those who hold on to them as faithful men and women, he'll give more. Whatever God has given us, church, whatever he has given us right now is either growing in our hands or it's diminishing. And then the master says to him, cast the unfruitful, unfaithful servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And just like there's a sense of heaven, an echo of heaven in uh, the, the, two servant, the two faithful servants, there sure is an echo of hell here for the unfaithful one. When we ignore what God gives us, when we, we just go our merry way on in an area in our lives, it's rebellion. And, and the Lord's not going to reward it. He can't. Making excuses isn't going to cut it. So the main point of this parable is really clear. Part of getting ready for Christ's return and living like he wants us to is, is determined by the stewardship of the resources that he's given us. We're responsible for using well what he gives us, the air we breathe, the life we have. And it's not how much we have, but how we use it. Andrew Murray said, the world asks, what does a man own? Christ asks, how does he use it? It's important to use the time he gives us. Thank God for the time he gives us and the talents and the treasures. But we're supposed to use them diligently in order to bring him honor and fulfill his purposes for our life. The two attitudes is clear in this parable. <laughs> the first two, the person that diligently prepares for the return of the Lord is going to be blessed. And the person who has no heart for the work of the kingdom is going to be punished. So, Lord, help us be watchful for any grace he pours in our lives. Amen? Help us steward it well and wisely. And, and help us, Lord, not to ever be envious of what somebody else has and how you're using them. And, and, and when things are going according to your plan, and anointing is flowing, and ministry, and you're being blessed, and you're edifying, and you're, you're helping, and maybe winning people to the Lord, or whatever, you're loving well, don't allow any pride to come in. Do not let any puffing up of pride come into your life. About 15 years ago, I was in a meeting with Heidi Baker of Iris Ministries up by Chicago. And she was praying for people. She didn't pray for me. She was just kind of going out and walked through the, the crowd of people and was praying for people. But while she was doing that, the Holy Spirit 
the Lord just struck me with an agony of heart, showing me how evil and how insidiously wicked pride is. It's, it's, a, it's an agony that I've never had in my life before then or since then. It was, it was not a revelation. He was showing me how antichrist pride is. He was showing me how it's Ichabod. And it wasn't a word like from the word or from the message. It was a painful experience. It was a revelation of pain. And he was describing, he was allowing me to taste what the rebellion to him was and what an indescribable affront to his goodness and glory pride is. And I mean, it was, it was extremely painful in my heart. Uh, I was waylaid. I was knocked down on the floor. I mean, I was writhing around on the floor several hours. Everybody else had gone to lunch. Before lunch to mid-afternoon, I was in the Lord's wine press or his wood, his wood shed, and he was doing some deep scrubbing and cleaning in me, maybe even deliverance. I don't know. I was the only one there. Nobody was praying for me. But the Lord had a hold of my heart and was revealing how evil pride is. And it was just after Peg and I had gone through the most painful experience, heartbreaking experience in ministry that we've ever been through. But the Lord just began to show me how pride and humility are the two superpowers, uh, two kingdoms at war over the eternal possession of man. And, and how pride comes from Satan, the spiritual being, and how he, he infected that virus of pride into all mankind. And each one of us deals with it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And, and he was showing me how the wretchedness that pride brings on planet Earth, all the suffering, all the heartache, all the jealousy, all the infighting, all the vain ambitions and unhappiness, the embittered lives because of the, of the sin of pride in mankind's heart. And even among the church, you know, the lack of love or the lack of sensitivity to people's needs or feelings, even sharp comments or hasty judgments, how many times do they impede the influence of the Holy Spirit when he's trying to work in a fellowship? Temper, touchiness, manifestations of bitterness or estrangement, they all has their root in pride. How many churches have had the harmony just shattered or God was hindered because of touchy, proudful, impatient saints Self-defensive, self-assertive to the point of judgments and unkind words. Pride, somebody when they're walking full of a proudful heart, they get indignant or angry when they're not listened to or when their opinion isn't valued or when they're not praised. David said in 36 Psalm 2, verse 2, Proud, pride, the proudful people flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. If, if we could just get a glimpse of how evil pride is, we would just, we would run to people and say, please rip this viper off of me. My continual prayer has been, Lord, 
be lifted up in my life and be honored in my life because pride can bring the highest angels down to becoming devils. And only through Christ's humility, when I connect with Jesus, can I ever hope to be lifted to a place to be in a joint heir, a co-heir with him in heaven. Pride is what made our redemption necessary. And, and Jesus, that redemption is the recovery of that lost humility that we had in the garden. In heaven, Jesus humbled himself to become a man. And then when he was found in the flesh, the word made flesh and dwelt among us, he humbled himself to be obedient to his parents and to God, even to the point of death on the cross. Humility should be a distinguishing feature of God's people. My, my mantra, my continual prayer is, Lord, help me be a blessing. Let me be a blessing. I don't want to be a messing. Isn't it great when God is blessing and he's moving and things? He's the one who makes things happen. Amen? Isn't that a glorious? So I love being there when God's moving. But isn't it awful when there's a mess going on? We need the Lord to deliver us from pride. We need to embrace humility, however he brings it to us. Whatever hardship, trial, tribulation. Because humility, humility is not just an attitude of reverence when we're in the house of the Lord, worshiping together and praising him. It's, it's our attitude when, when, we're in, when we're around our fellow man in our daily lives. Honoring others, serving others, submitting to one another, clothing ourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of vain conceit, but consider others better than yourself. A humble person doesn't get all jealous or envious when somebody else is being blessed or spoken well of. Uh, somebody walking in humility can praise God when he sees other people's being blessed and praised before he is. Maybe he's being forgotten or feeling left out. The Lord out of, uh, said to Isaiah in 57, 15, I live in a high and holy place but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Jesus starts out and says, Blessed are, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Whether it's on earth or it's in heaven, humility is the key. When we're in Christ's humility, only with his humility. The danger of pride is, is greater and nearer than we think, church, and, and it's something we need to be alert to, especially at the time when we're having and enjoying our greatest fruit bearing in our lives. There's a principle that any organization, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. But I think as I look around and I've been involved with Emmaus, I would say we're doing way better than the 20%. Bernard of Clairvaux said, it's no great thing to be humble when you're brought low, but to be humble when you're praised is a great and rare achievement. So church, use whatever grace God gives you.
And I just pray that this word today will be like a prophetic word to your heart, to your spirit, to your mind, and in some way will bear some beautiful fruit somehow in helping us walk in that humility of Jesus. Do what he signs you to do, but do it in all humility. Amen? If we could have the worship team to start coming back up, please. <clears throat> Jonathan Edwards said, nothing sets a person so much out of devil's reach as humility. Martin Luther said, God created the world out of nothing, and as long as we are nothing, he can make something out of us. Amen? So as we go into prayer and worship here in a moment, and there's going to be people in the back that love to pray for you, Let's just consider together and take inventory. You know, am I using the gifts that God's given me? Am I using the life resource? Am I using the trust fund of God in, in such a way where I, it's, it's in growing in my hands and not diminishing? And, and uh, maybe my fire needs to be flamed, fanned into, get somebody to pray for you. See, my, my fire needs to be, I need to fan it into flame. And if things are going really good and you're seeing a lot of good fruit right now, hallelujah, rejoice in that. And more, Lord, I bless that in Jesus' name. But watch out for getting puffed up about it. Amen? Just imagine for a few moments that we're, you were standing before the Lord on his throne. few lines from an old church hymn when I stand before thy throne dressed in beauty not my own <laughs> when I see thee as thou art praising thee with sinless heart then Lord I shall surely know yet still in part how much I owe Lord just keep clothing us in the white robe of your righteousness we need your righteousness desperately. And we thank you for how you are, have imputed it to us, so you're imparting it to us along the way. And we just say more, Lord. We need to walk in your humility. Just like water comes into the low places on earth, your Holy Spirit comes to the low and contrite of heart. May we be that place, Lord, at Emmaus. Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you to make us more like Jesus, to walk in his humility, that he would be honored, that he be lifted up. Lord, help us guard against any of the stuff Satan's infected mankind with, that, that pride of life. Help us, Lord, to uh, only by your power, only by your grace can it be extinguished, ripped out, destroyed, crucified, dead and buried. So we increase in us, Lord Jesus, 
In, in your holy name we pray. Amen.